Hello, this is Pastor Trent. I want to welcome you to the Mountain Home Church, the Nazarene Sermon Podcast. We are thrilled that you are tuning in to hear sermons from our ministries here at our church. It is our hope that the Spirit of Christ would be present with you as you listen today. I do want to take just a moment to invite you to reach out and connect with us. On our website, we have a way for you to do just that. You can visit www.mhnazarene.org slash connect and fill out a very brief form. There's a spot to leave contact info, ask questions, and even to request prayer. Also, be sure to indicate that you listen to us through our SoundCloud podcast to let us know where you're listening. May the Lord be with you this day. Grace and peace to you. I don't know about you, but I needed a little bit of Christmas music this morning. I, for some reason this year, I haven't listened to a lot yet. I hear it on the radio occasionally, but I just needed that, that magic this morning. I needed that, that feeling, because um, I don't know about you, but this year, well, and last year a little bit, it felt this way. It's like, usually we get all excited for Christmas, and I think that's happening, but, but this year has been a little bit dreary in, in some ways, and, and so I needed that, that excitement and encouragement this morning. And I was actually struck by one of the songs. Uh, usually we wait to sing Joy to the World until Christmas Day, right? But some of the verses are actually Advent verses. You know, it, we, we read the line, um, prepare him room uh, in, our, in our hearts. And so I just really liked that reminder this morning. Um, I get to preach this morning, and I'm so thankful. Thank you for allowing me the opportunity to share God's word with you today. Um, preparing for things is, is not one of my strengths. Uh, I mean, I'm prepared when I need to be, and I, and I get things done as well as I can, um, which is usually pretty well. I did okay in school and did all that. But preparation doesn't come naturally. I'm not a type A person. What I mean by that is I'm a procrastinator. Do we have any other procrastinators in the room? I heard an amen. Yes, yes. You see, we procrastinators get a lot of flack, right? Um, If you're still in school, students, maybe your parents get on your case about getting your homework done. Um, But even as adults, we people get on our case, or maybe we get on our own case. Uh, Whether it's paying bills on time, or we're at work and it's a deadline, or going grocery shopping, I procrastinate in all of it. Um, And I think procrastination kind of has this negative connotation, right? Most people think it's a bad thing, and it certainly can be. It can get you into trouble, but I've always just done better under pressure. Uh, when I had a 10-page paper due in college, I would, I would just camp up at the library for five or six hours and write the paper in one sitting. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't just create a writing schedule at the beginning of the semester and work on it little chunks out of the time. I just, my brain didn't work that way. Um, and my mom, my mom was the same way. She is a procrastinator. And that's where I get it, I think. I got permission from her to, to call her out on this. Uh, but I remember when I was younger, I was a little kid. Well, even just into my teenage years. And my mom would become a totally different person when we had guests coming to the house. Um, she went full preparation mode. I mean, like, cleaning things that nobody even looks at, um, baking cookies so that the house smelled good, like, you know what I'm talking about, because maybe you're that person. Raise of hands if you are that person. <laughs> My mom made me ask, because she knows she's not the only one. Um, or maybe your parents were the same way. And 
uh, and often us kids would get roped into doing the chores, right? We would have to do the cleaning and we would even have to clean our rooms, which guests don't usually go in our rooms, but so it never made sense to me. But cleaning our rooms usually consisted of like swiftly shoving piles of clothes and toys under the bed or like hiding them with a blanket to make them look presentable. Whether you're a preparer or a procrastinator, Jesus loves you all the same. <laughs> Hashtag procrastinators forever. <laughs> Today, however, our text from scripture challenges us to be preparers. And perhaps I need this message more than anyone with me being a procrastinator and all. So procrastinators, this is for us today. Last week, we kicked off the season of Advent um, in which we, as a people of God, anticipate expectantly for Jesus to come. The season of Advent is four weeks before Christmas Day, where we journey to the manger to meet the newborn baby Jesus. And we also embrace an attitude of, of waiting and anticipation for when Jesus will come again to make all things new. And our challenge in the waiting this week is to prepare. I really like what Pastor Trent said last week. Um, if you weren't here or you need a refresher, we heard about hope, the first theme of Advent. And in that message, Trent reminded us that, that hope is not passive, right? It's, it's active. Our waiting and hoping isn't done by just kind of sitting back and twiddling our thumbs and wishing that something will happen or change, right? In the waiting, we are invited to participate in the mission of God, to roll up our sleeves, if you will, and prepare for Christ to come again. The theme of the second week of Advent, which we heard about earlier when we lit the candle, is what? Peace. peace. Thanks. Like hope, peace invites participation not passivity. Our scripture text today comes from Luke chapter 3, um, and I invite you to open your Bible or Bible devices to the Gospel of Luke today. Um, again, I'll be reading from chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, and I'll be reading from the Common English Bible. If you're willing and able, I invite you to stand to your feet or in your hearts out of reverence to hear God's word this morning. Luke chapter 3, Verses 1 through 6. In the 15th year of the rule of the emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea and Herod was ruler over Galilee, his brother Philip was ruler over Ituria and Triconidus, and Lysanias was ruler over Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, God's word came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. John went throughout the region of the Jordan River, calling for people to be baptized to show that they were changing their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. This is just as it is written in the scroll of the words of Isaiah the prophet. A voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The crooked will be made straight and the rough places made smooth. All humanity we'll see God's salvation. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Something I really enjoy about the season of Advent is that we kind of get to take a look at some of these more obscure texts, right? We're not quite at the passages that we imagine at Christmas time of baby Jesus in the manger and the Virgin Mary riding on a donkey 
For now, we get to journey with these other portions of scripture and other important characters in the story. The main character in our text today is John, son of Zechariah, who is commonly referred to as John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist is described this way in both Mark and Matthew. It says, John wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. Kind of a funny description for a person, right? And though we don't know exactly what John looked like, I've always imagined Robin Williams in the scene from Jumanji. I think we've got a picture up there. <laughs> when he's first freed from the board game, right? Um, he's clothed in leaves and his hair is wild and he's got this giant beard. That's what I imagine John the Baptist looked like. I don't know where that image came from, but good luck getting that image out of your head now every time you think about John the Baptist. You're welcome. But this wild dude is the person God trusted with the message of the coming Messiah and with preparing the people to, to, be, to repent and to be baptized. See, around Christmas time, we like to think of snow gently falling, although we haven't had any snow yet, um, babies sleeping, or perhaps a long winter's nap as examples of peace, right? And yet today, the lectionary points us to a story about this wild man living in the wilderness on a diet of locusts and honey, coming to towns along the Jordan, shouting, prepare the way for the Lord. That doesn't sound very peaceful, does it? But John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3 paints this picture of a time of peace that is borrowed from the prophet Isaiah. He's describing a time when crooked paths are made straight and rough places made smooth. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. But I want to focus for a second on the first part of the passage. Um, why are all of these historical figures mentioned, right? In the 15th year of the rule of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea and Herod was ruler over Galilee, his brother Philip was ruler over Ituria and Triconidus and Lysanias was ruler over Abilene during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Say that five times fast. I've, I've never really had a knack for history. Uh, I enjoy and I love learning about it um, and exploring it when I travel places. But if you want me to remember names and dates, forget about it. I, I can't do that. I can't memorize those things. And so I read this passage in Luke, and my first instinct is to kind of just ignore it, to kind of go to the next part, right, the exciting part. Like, yeah, Luke needed to add a little bit of fluff to make it sound good and historically accurate. But when we take a little bit of time to see and understand what's going on here, to take a magnifying glass, if you will, to the text, or to see the bigger picture, we see that the description of these people is actually really significant to the story. John's message, his proclamation, is set in a particular historical and political context. Luke sets the stage by describing these political powers, these seven or eight people that he mentioned. He names those things because they would become the biggest obstacle for Christ's ministry. You see, the empire and political powers of the time were the avenue through which the people were convinced that the Messiah would come, right? That, that they would be freed from this Messiah that the empire was naming. Because surely peace for them would come through war, would come through the law, would come through having the most firepower. People trusted that their salvation would come from the empire. 
And yet, after this long list of rulers and powerful people, we read this. God's word came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. It's almost as if Luke wanted to put a big but in front of that line. But God's word came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. It's almost like a slap in the face to the powerful figures of the time. God's word, the good news of the coming Messiah, didn't come to Tiberius or Pilate or Herod. It didn't even come to the high priests, the religious leaders of the time. It came to this common man in the wilderness, a man whose purpose it has always been to prepare people for the Messiah to come. And talking about that purpose, I want to point out something that is really poignant to me about John. Um, We heard from from Rodney a few minutes ago the reading um, before, and I'm going to read you a little portion of that again, but, but John was a child promised to Zechariah and Elizabeth, relatives of Mary, who wanted a child but they couldn't for many years. From the moment he was conceived, his purpose was to prepare the way for Jesus. Perhaps that isn't the most glorious purpose because he knew that he was going to be outdone, that somebody greater was coming after him. But that's not the point. He didn't didn't care about that. John embraced this calling on his life, named by his father, Zechariah, in Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 76 through 79 for you again, and it'll be on the screen too. Zechariah said, you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. You will tell his people how to be saved through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our God's deep compassion, the dawn from heaven will break upon us to give light to those who are sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide us on the path of peace. You see, this path of peace is so different and so unparalleled than the paths that the world has to offer. The kingdom that the people had in mind, and perhaps that we have in mind sometimes, is not the kingdom God intended. The kingdom of God wouldn't enter through the epicenter of political power, but it would start from the wilderness, from a humble and unfamiliar place, and from the mouth and ministry of a humble, unfamiliar man who would call people to this path of peace. You see, this this contrasting of the two kinds of kingdoms isn't just present in the origin of John's message following this, this list of powerful people, but also what precedes that list. If you look at Luke chapter 2, the birth and childhood narrative, Jesus is right there, right before this passage today. And that's interesting placement. What we have here are, are two examples of how God's kingdom would come through a little child and by the way of an unassuming prophet. And sandwiched in between them is this competing kingdom, the problem. What this communicates is that God's kingdom does not operate in the ways of the world with shows of military power, violence, money, control, or status. But it operates very differently with shows of humility, kindness, mercy, forgiveness, and love. One of the ways it operates differently is in the requirements to be a part of it, right? We don't have to sign any contracts or or fill out any paperwork, the way to become a citizen of the kingdom of God is simply through repentance, which is traditionally followed by baptism. 
an outward symbol of the transformative work that God has done in us. What John is doing is preparing others for the Messiah to come by inviting them to be baptized as a display of the change in their hearts. And I like that, that fact that he was inviting them. It's not like he was forcing people to be baptized to make this decision. That's part of our human participation in the work of God. Baptism wasn't a new concept to the hearers of John's message. They would have experienced it or witnessed it because converts to Judaism were baptized and various other religious ceremonies involved kind of cleansing with water. So this wouldn't have been particularly weird or strange or peculiar for the people to hear from a prophet. What was different and perhaps uncomfortable for those listening was the radical call to change their hearts and lives. No longer would salvation come from family heritage or status or position, but through the forgiveness of their sins. That was a weird message for them. Baptism was no longer just a formality, something you did to, to get the, the golden star, right? But an outward symbol of what God was doing in and through those who would believe. You see, the uncomfortable part of repentance is not necessarily asking for forgiveness. That part's kind of easy. But the uncomfortable part, the hard part, is committing to follow a different path from that point forward. A path of peace. And we see the struggle a few verses later after our passage today um, when even tax collectors and soldiers were coming to be baptized and they were asking John all these questions like, what do we need to do to be baptized? What do we need to do to get saved? And John basically tells them to live differently. You gotta change the way that you're living your life. You can't cheat anymore. You need to share your resources and be content with what you have. Through baptism, people's allegiance, even the soldiers of the Roman Empire, was beginning to shift from the Roman Empire to this new kind of kingdom, the kingdom that operates differently than the kingdoms of the world. And to contrast these two kingdoms even more, John's message borrowed from Isaiah's prophecy uses language familiar to worldly kings, but with very different implications. I'll read those verses for you again. John says, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight, Every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The crooked will be made straight and the rough places made smooth. You see, in ancient times, when a king was on his way to visit a city, there would be someone sent ahead of time to announce that the king was coming, right? That person would, would instruct the residents to kind of clean up their act, to clean up the city, um, to prepare it for the king. They would sweep the streets, uh, fill in the holes in the ground, um, in other words, they needed to just make the city look pristine and perfect for the king that was coming. Otherwise, it was a shame and an embarrassment if their city was out of shape when the king came through. Now, if a king could ride through mountain home so all the construction could go in, all the roads would be paved, that'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but because of this common practice of, of preparing the physical roads for a king to enter, this excerpt wouldn't have been unfamiliar um, to the Jewish population who've known the prophecy of Isaiah for years, but the language wouldn't have been unfamiliar to those pl who pledged their allegiances to the empire either. 
Perhaps that was John's tactic in naming this prophecy, but his feather ruffling was in full swing. See, when we think of peace, we don't, we don't usually imagine road work, right? That sounds like the opposite of peace. As somebody who struggles with road rage, if there's construction and traffic, I get very frustrated. That's not peaceful. And yet, in a season of preparation, of Advent, we must reflect on the work that needs to be done to pursue and hopefully achieve peace. Remember, peace invites participation, not passivity. So what does John mean then by making crooked paths straight and filling valleys and leveling mountains? Certainly he couldn't mean changing the whole infrastructure of Israel. Perhaps instead he was referring to a change in the infrastructure of our hearts. Does some road work need to be done in your hearts today? See, when the ground isn't level, and some find themselves on higher ground and some on lower ground, injustice is probably happening. In fact, it, it is happening. And where there is injustice, there can't be peace. Unlike the kingdoms of the world, the kingdom of God creates this level playing field where no one is better or more fit for love, forgiveness, mercy, grace, or salvation than another. You see, the, the imagery of mountains being made low should draw our imaginations to humility and service. And the imagery of valleys being filled should make us think of those who have been marginalized and outcast and creating avenues that make access to the love of Christ realistic for them, including justice, care, shelter, and friendship. Only when every single human every child of God has equal opportunities to be lavished with God's love, can true peace be achieved. But getting to that point is really hard work. You see, peace invites participation, not passivity. This means that kingdom of God peace is coming through in sometimes painful and uncomfortable ways because the powers of the world, the broken systems that exist among us, the injustice need to be dismantled so that Christ, the Prince of Peace, can reign. Just like smoothing out an uneven road takes work, so the smoothing out of an uneven, rough world takes work. The process is not often one of ease or comfort. And this is why John's proclamation is so scandalous. He's upsetting the status quo, calling out the sins of the people, and calling for deep change to take place. And this is why, this is why his language of repentance is so fitting. To repent is not just to ask for forgiveness, but to turn around and to reorient ourselves toward the person of Jesus. One writer I looked at this week, Kathy Beach Verhey, wrote, our repentance, our turning around, will likely involve us looking at the structures and systems and the people of the world around us in new and different ways. That's really good stuff. Although if I could make one edit, I would take out the word likely. Our repentance won't likely involve those things. It will involve those things. 
if it's sincere. Church, if we really, truly experience the transforming love of God in our lives and really, truly repent of our sins, our worldview will change. We will no longer be looking through through world-shaped lenses, but we'll be looking through Christ-shaped lenses. Through those lenses, we will see each and every person as deserving of the love of God worthy of salvation, instead of categorizing, categorizing them based on status or wealth or political party or gender or age, you name it. And that brings us to the last verse of our passage today, which to me is really the climax. Verse 6 says, all humanity will see God's salvation. Say it with me. All humanity will see God's salvation. We should proclaim that every moment of every day. Make it a daily habit to pray that every single person we come in contact with might come to know Jesus. We have work to do in preparing for Jesus to come, church. And and the kids are going to, I think I hear them rustling around upstairs. They're going to come down soon. Um, And so as they get ready to come down and and prepare to sing some more songs, um, I'm reminded today that that my understanding of peace needs a little bit of work. While we get glimpses of peace in things like sleeping babies, which we're going to sing about in a minute, and quiet mornings, and it's very good to enjoy those things. They are very peaceful. We must not let that be our only understanding of peace. The newborn sleeping child in a manger was simply the starting point of kingdom peace, but much more work is to be done until we realize kingdom of God peace in its fullness. Father, today, uh, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your mercy and compassion and salvation. Thank you for the ways that you constantly remind us that work needs to be done in our hearts and in this world. Lord, would you give us the strength and courage to be able to to participate in peacemaking, Lord. Thank you for this. Be with us in the rest of this service as we sing songs about you. In your name we pray. Amen. Now bring us some figgy pudding. I don't even know what figgy pudding is. I never even had it. It sounds gross. It sounds awful. (laughs) Perhaps, like me, you are wondering how the heck do we participate in peace? I believe our text today calls us to action in at least two ways. First, adopt John's mindset and take up the mantle of preparing others for Christ to come. This is a clear call for discipleship. Find someone or someones that could use some guidance and mentorship and teach them from scripture and from your own story about the hope and peace and joy and love of God and Jesus that you've experienced. And second, practice readiness and openness to how God wants to transform your life. Be teachable and moldable and open-minded. And when you're ready, accept John's message of repentance being ready to turn your life around and see the world through a different lens. 
would you extend your hands now to receive the benediction? In other words, we're participating in readiness to receive this blessing. And this morning it comes from 1 Thessalonians. Now may the God of peace himself cause you to be completely dedicated to him. And may your spirit, soul, and body be kept intact and blameless at our Lord Jesus Christ's coming. The one who is calling you is faithful and will do this. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks for joining us today on the Mountain Home Church the Nazarene podcast. Don't forget to visit us at mhnazarene.org connect if you'd like to connect with us and have a great week.